In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Feast of the Transfiguration, which is what we are celebrating today, is a glorious celebration in the church calendar. So I'm hesitant to cast a shadow over it, but I think I have no choice. And the shadow is this. Many of you and many others around the world are reeling from the revelation made through the media this week that the beloved Jean Vanier, founder of the L'Arche community, has been revealed to have abused at least six women during his ministry. Not the extremely vulnerable community that he is mostly connected to, but vulnerable all the same. Women who came to him for spiritual direction and with whom he had sexual relationships. Those kinds of revelations are always very upsetting, shocking. They seem to turn upside down any hope we have for goodness in the world. It's almost as if a crack developed upon the reputation of this man, and we saw something ugly beneath the surface, something we didn't think was there. Just when we thought we knew him, just when we thought there was hope, we see this. It's a shocking revelation, and I know some of you have spoken to me about it already today. Well, I can't help but think that the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on the mountain is a similar situation in reverse. A crack develops and widens, and what is known about Jesus is simply flung aside. The disciples whom Jesus took to the mountaintop with him thought they knew him. They thought they knew who he was. They thought, as we might say, had him all, they thought they had him all sewn up, as it were. They knew him as friend. They knew him as trustworthy companion. They knew him as teacher, rabbi, one in authority, one that they had laid aside so much in order to follow. All wonderful things, but nothing prepared them for the glory that was revealed to them on the mountaintop of who this really was. There is Jesus standing with those who represent the law and the prophets, the ones who represent the revelation of God to the world through his word. This is the word made flesh. This is the most glorious revelation of who God is, who we are, and what God's will is that we could ever receive. There is Jesus in something approaching the fullness of his glory so that his face shines, his garments glow, and they stand in awe in the true sense of that word. And then comes along Peter. You know, I've often thought I'm a bit like him. Both feet in the mouth at times, sometimes saying the wrong things. Well, let's not be too hard on the guy. 
If you were in the midst of an experience like that, I bet you wouldn't want to shake it off anytime soon either. I know I wouldn't. You know those glorious mountaintop experiences where everything seems to be going beautifully and life and love and peace flow through you like sunshine? So Peter says, it is good for us to be here. No kidding. So let us build three tents. What Peter is saying, it is good for us to be here, which is true. But then he tries to add, so let's just stay here. I think it's quite telling that at that very moment, it says in the gospel, while he was still speaking, the cloud descends. The glory is hidden again. When the cloud goes away, it's all over. And Jesus says, let's go back down. While the cloud descends and the view is murky again, and not quite so crystal clear as it was moments ago, we hear the voice of God. This is my well-beloved son. Listen to him. Peter may not feel like that's what he needs to hear at that moment, but I think it is. He needs to know that his experience his ecstasy of the moment of high, his feeling, his interpretation, let's build three tents, of what this event is about, is not what it's about. It's about Jesus. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And as the story unfolds, I think, you know, the next sentences are, listen to him in the Garden of Gethsemane as he strives to hear my voice that you hear so clearly right now. Listen to him on the cross when he is taunted, when he feels forsaken, and when he's looking to me for another word. Listen to him in all those instances of his life and all the fullness of his words and his teaching and his example. Because God is to be experienced not simply in the mountaintop. In other words, we shouldn't think that our spiritual lives need to have those kinds of highs in order to be authentic and validated. Quite the opposite. It's when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's when we do the heavy lifting of faith versus doubt. It's when we are driven like Christ into the wilderness, which we'll remember just this coming Wednesday, that we often most fully experience who God is. You see, So much of our spirituality as Christians is not so much about the high points as it is about remembering them. In our lesson from 2 Peter, there's Peter, 
you know, he's been through quite a bit between the time of that event of the transfiguration and when he writes this letter. And there is him remembering this glorious moment along with other things in his life. And we are called back to remember the experience of the people of God, Israel, as Moses himself went up to a mountaintop. First to hear the glory of God, then, like Christ, he came back down from the mountain, got annoyed, smashed the, the uh, tablets of stone, and had to go back up again and get some new ones. The second time he comes down, he has to put a veil on his face because something of God has rubbed off on him. He's been transfigured in a way as well. Not quite as glorious as Christ, but the rubbing off of the divine onto the sacred and onto the human is the incarnational component of the spirituality we live through our risen Lord Christ. This idea of remembering. When you think about our common life together as Anglicans, it's central, isn't it? What are we going to say? Well, Andrew's going to say it on our behalf. Louise and I often say it. Everyone who celebrates at every altar around the world says it. Do this in remembrance of me. Just like Israel and years gone by, at their Passover, recounting their salvation history. We do the same in our Eucharistic prayers and remind ourselves that God is on our side and we belong to God and nothing can separate us from God. And then we have that wonderful meal that shows his sacrifice of love for us in remembrance of him. You see, it's important for you and for me and for all of us to do some remembering because life can be dark and difficult sometimes. Doubt can feel heavy. We can feel depressed. We can have our expectations and our hopes and what we thought was the way things are or at least hoped that they were going to be can feel shaken and sometimes even shattered. And those are the essential times to do some remembering. I'm not sure how old I was when it dawned on me. You know, sometimes it takes me a little while to catch on. So I'm not sure how old I was when it dawned on me that as much as there is fighting about the sign of the cross in the Anglican Communion, there are two places in the Book of Common Prayer where the priest is compelled to do that. One is making the sign of the cross on the forehead of a person when they are baptized. And then if, you know, not to push people around, so if there is an imposition of ashes on Ash Wednesday when we remember who we are and our need for God's grace and mercy in order to be saved and brought to eternal life, that very cross gets covered with another cross, this time made of ashes, not chrism oil. And I can remember, just to be personal here for a moment, when that thought came upon me, and I remember as the priest was putting the 
ashes, the sign of my mortality, the symbol of my sin and repentance over the top of the cross that Father Bradshaw put on me in 1964. That was the symbol that I now belong to God as God's child. I pictured the former cross pushing off the ashes that my sin could not cover the reality of who I was now in God's sight because God had adopted me as God's child. You see how important remembering is? So when you are feeling heavy and difficult and like God is nowhere to be found, remember. Remember the stories of Jesus, not just the glorious ones, but the ones in which he bore agony and deprivation and insult and death for our sakes. The dark ones. Remember that the still, small voice of God is still the, the pealing and roaring and thundering voice of God. It is good for us to be here, says Peter. Yeah, mountaintop experiences are great, but it's also good for us to be in the low places, in the dark places, in the places of doubt, because God is with us there as well. I hope you'll indulge me in reading what's on the front cover of your bulletin today as I close my sermon. I don't know if it was Louise or Andrew. It was Andrew who selected this one, but I almost wanted to stand up and say, you know what? Just read that and I'll sit down now. So I am going to read that and then I'll sit down. I think this beautifully captures what we can take as God's people from this glorious festival. For in that one moment in and out of time, on that one mountain where all moments meet, the daily veil that covers the sublime in darkling glass fell dazzled at his feet. There were no angels full of eyes and wings, just living glory full of truth and grace. The love that dances at the heart of things shone out upon us from a human face. And to that light, the light in us, leaped up. We felt it quicken somewhere deep within, a sudden blaze of long-extinguished hope trembled and tingled through the tender skin. Nor can this, this blackened sky, this darkened scar, eclipse that glimpse of how things really are. Amen.